welcome to the podcast. We've got fresh content from some of the brightest minds in the Bitcoin, blockchain, and crypto space. With feeds on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram that make it so incredibly easy to keep to the pulse of what's happening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and even hit the share button to send to someone you know who would love to know about this totally free podcast. Huge thanks to our main sponsor, UnoCoin, who are not only India's leading crypto assets blockchain company, but also the reason why this podcast is available to you completely free of charge. With that said, let's jump into one of the Blockchain Impact Conference talks that took place in Toronto, Canada on December 8th, 2017. Enjoy. It's so good to be back in Toronto. I've managed to escape for three winters in a row, but I'm finally back. And I'm so honored to stand here in front of you guys, the ever-growing crypto community up north. This talk is going to be different than most you've had today. Uh, I've got no slides. It's going to be short and sweet, just you and me. Unlike most presenters that were up here, I got into cryptocurrencies only this year. I happen to be in between worlds, and the price spiked for the first time above 1500, and people lost their minds. Bitcoin price dominated my newsfeed, and I was like, oh, I should probably come out of my rock and take a look at this. Soon, I was hooked. Three months after I put my first dollar into Litecoin, I earned my first paycheck fully denominated in Bitcoin. I now work as a product manager at Purse. Uh, I'll tell you more about it in a bit, but the one-liner is it's an e-commerce startup that where all payments happen in Bitcoin. As a PM, I think a lot about what my users want. And in this industry, that's proven to be more challenging than any others I've been in. This whole space is changing so rapidly with so many users coming in with every new cycle that it's easy for companies to lose sight of who they're building for. And that's what I wanted to help with. Today, I'll be talking about who these new users are, why they look, and talk and think different than the rest of us, and how we can help them deal with this fundamentally disruptive technology called blockchains. I want to leave you guys with four principles that you can apply in any business, not just software or tech, but even uh, finance, regulation, brokerage, anything. We hear so many times that where we are today is reminiscent of the early internet age. The analogy is not a perfect fit, but in terms of people's reactions, it's spot on. So many people call this whole internet thing a fad. They said it would only be used by drug dealers, money launderers, and terrorists. Sound familiar? But the part about this analogy that most interests me is the timing. Where we are today with blockchains has been compared to the specific time period between 1993 and 95, where more and more people saw the potential of the internet, but it wasn't quite mainstream yet. We stand on the knee of the exponential curve in terms of cryptocurrency adoption. If you think 2017 brought in a whole lot of people, well, Wait till you see what 2018 has in store for us. We now have the attention of mainstream users and what we do with it is critical in determining how soon we get to mass adoption. 
For the rest of this talk, I will be speaking to all of you as product developers. I use this term loosely. I don't mean those who write code. I mean anyone who might play a role in building products and services, either in the space directly or adjacent to it. And my reasoning is simple. Just as how the internet changed business as we knew it, blockchains are poised to do the same. And you are well positioned to guide your companies through this turbulent transition. Why? Well, you did just take a day out of work to attend an all-day blockchain conference. And for those of you who got paid to be here, congratulations, your company is woke. Where were we? Right, the elusive mainstream user. With every paradigm shift, there has always been some resistance. When you introduce something new to people, the first reaction is almost always no. Or more accurately, why? Why should I change the way I have always done things? With hindsight, the answer, it's easy to answer why. It's easy to connect the dots between technology and the value it drives. In the internet, automobiles, cell phones, and social media were all seen as fads at first. Slowly, this perception started to change, and people started looking less at the core technology and more around how they can employ it to make their lives better. The reality is mainstream users just don't care about blockchains. They don't care about open, decentralized systems. And they won't care until it's crystal clear what it will do for them. This is where we come in as product developers. Now, before we talk about how to shift this perception, let's look back at how the internet broke into mainstream. Well, two things happened. One, the barrier to entry to get online was greatly lowered. AOL started shipping CDs with serial boxes that give thousands of hours of online access. Around the same time, the first browser was released. And normal people started hopping online for the first time just to check out what was on there. The second big thing that happened was entrepreneurs flooded to the space to build compelling use cases for people to be online. Large incumbents slowly realized that the internet was, is, was eating their lunch and slowly started to adapt. Any behavior that we did offline was being moved online. Soon people didn't have just one reason to be online. They had a few. Fast forward 10 years, the internet started encroaching into our schools and businesses. Now, 20 odd years after the birth of the internet, we have no reason to be offline. The same is happening with cryptocurrencies today. This year we've seen a record number of new companies built in this space that are giving people multiple reasons to participate today. The main challenge these companies face is how they're going to acquire and retain mainstream users. Because counter to the old adage, if you build it, they will not come. Let's start with the first one, acquisition. Today, companies in the space feel like they're breaking new ground. It's because they actually are. Mainstream users aren't going to touch anything that remotely looks like, feels like, or smells new. They want to know how you're going to solve their problem, and that's it. 
As product developers, we need to speak their own language. This is critical. When you reiterate someone's problem back to them in their own words, it shows that you feel the pain they feel. It shows that you empathize with them. Then, when you turn around and say, hey, I've got a solution for your problem, they're more likely to believe you. Okay, so now you have your now that you have their attention and that they trust you can solve their problem and they'll be giving you a shot. How do you not screw this up? This is where we can borrow three key principles from the design community. Designers have been teaching users to learn and unlearn behaviors long before the internet was around. The first one is to shorten the time between intent and reward. Let me break this down for you. Intent is fairly self-explanatory. Users at your door, they're raising their hand saying, hey, I have a problem, help me. Reward is any small morsel of value that you can deliver on the path to solving that problem. Reward doesn't uh, refer to the end state of the user being fully satisfied. Even indicating that they're on the right path helps. It gives your users the satisfaction of knowing that they're in the right place. What you need to do, excuse me, what we need to do is remove any unnecessary steps, any unnecessary friction between the intent and the reward. The second thing we can do is to leverage the power of reciprocity. Broadly speaking, when do you think it's the right time to ask for something from people? It's right after you give them something of value first. Reciprocity is a powerful phenomenon. When we are the recipient of a favor, we feel indebted to the other person. And this is no different from how people interact with products. When you want your users to take an action, give them something of value first. Let's take the classic example of securing private keys for a Bitcoin or an Ethereum wallet. We all know this is crucial to do so, and it's nothing like we're used to, so it feels daunting. Many wallets I've seen um, say something to the effect of, hey, here are your private keys. If you lose this, you're fucked. You'll lose all your funds. A better approach might be to say, hey, you are your own bank now. No one can touch your funds other than you. All of this is made possible with this thing called a private key. Therefore, it's crucial that you write it down and store it in a secure place. See the difference? When you put the value up front, you control your funds, and then ask for something, secure your keys, the user is more likely to take action rather than panic and leave. Which brings me to my last point, offer redundancies. In crypto, there are many ways for a new user to make mistakes. This list is a long one. There are a, there's a lot riding on an individual's actions. Naturally, they'll be anxious. There is no 1-800 support line for Bitcoin. Our job is to make sure that they're not overwhelmed by the breadth of actions that they have or the burden on their shoulders. We need to put them as at ease by offering these redundancies, by offering multiple ways for people to do the same thing, multiple ways for them to recover from having made a mistake. 
Let me tell you about an example of what happened at Purse. Um, so when you come to Purse, we and sign up, we give you a Bitcoin wallet automatically. The crux of the business is you can get 15 to 30% off of anything on Amazon. Catch is, you gotta pay with Bitcoin. So naturally when you sign up, you get a Bitcoin wallet. Last year, we had this issue with our previous uh, bit, like Bitcoin wallet infrastructure that we decided to build our own and swap it out. When we did this, our users had two Bitcoin addresses. From the front end, we hit the old one, we bombarded our users with messages saying, hey, you have a new address, send your funds only to this, anything sent to the old one could be lost. Guess where they sent their funds? A lot of people sent, did, did still send funds to their old address, and they call us in a panic, asking where did their money go, asking why we stole it from them. Knowing this would happen, we kept both systems running at the same time for a very, very long time. Every time a user would come back to us and ask us like where their funds were, we would let them know that, hey, the funds were safe. We caught that they sent it to an old address and offered them the ability to pull it back into the new one. We did this on a case-by-case -case basis because we wanted the opportunity to talk to these people and teach them what it meant, uh, what having a new address meant. This is what I mean when I say offer redundancies. Okay, we've talked about a lot. Let's quickly recap. Mainstream users are waiting on the sidelines in hordes, deciding, trying to decide whether or not to jump in. They are more, more risk averse than most of us in this room, and anything new can cause uncertainty. This uncertainty breeds resistance. We have an incredible opportunity in front of us and we cannot be complacent. How we engage with these mainstream users will determine the future of this industry. Thank you. I wanted to, um, I blazed through that talk so that uh, I have a chance to answer any and all questions you guys have. So if you're purchasing something on purse, the funds are transferred to the buyer. And that doesn't incur any transaction fees. In terms of how we actually combat transaction fees, there are so many things we can do. And it goes back to the uh, split between effort and value. Uh, we did a few low cost things right now that really fit in with user expectations. Today, when you want to withdraw money from one account to another, you don't want a variable fee. We're used to a flat, static fee. So that's what we did. We charged our users a flat fee and um, we incurred the rest of the cost. 
So it kind of like fits in with their current middle model. Another thing we do is batch transactions and I process them instead of one at a time in batches of like 10 to 15. That way, while we incur these costs for users, we can batch them and like lower the overall cost on the network. Not yet. It's definitely something we're going to build next. Are we going to uh, implement SegWit for our Bitcoin wallets? Anything else? Survey says one back there. So SegWit is um, something that went online earlier this summer. What it effectively does is it takes the portion of a Bitcoin transaction, which is the signature. Think about it as a signature on a check. If I'm giving you a check, a tiny portion of the corner is the signature. For Bitcoin transactions, that signature is uh, the majority of the uh, size of that transaction. So if you have the signature bloating these transactions, what happens is you can fit less in one block. So it takes longer for transactions to go through. Or what has happened is the fee increases. People who want their transactions to go quickly pay more. What SegWit does is it pulls out the signature and adds it as a separate component at the end, opening up a bit more space for more transactions to be squeezed in. So thereby, it lowers the fees for all the people using the Bitcoin network. If there's nothing else, um, thank you guys for having me. Uh, my details are up there. Feel free to hit me up with any questions you guys might have. Thank you. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with a friend you think would appreciate the send. Up next, more talks from past conferences. Thanks for listening.